Hello, and welcome to Inclusionomics, a podcast that provides tools to all women who are challenged with finding or having access to positions of power. We help you navigate the path to being seen, being heard, and being included. Everyone is welcome here. It is an inclusion podcast after all, and we hope that you're here for all of that. Welcome to Inclusionomics. I'm Lisa Gates, and I'm going to start with a story today. The story is about Laura, who is the VP of Client Success for a financial tech startup. And she recently has gone through two job transitions, trying to kind of uh, to land the head of client success role, which she handsomely deserves, but has been running into politics and bias and timing, who knows what. One of the things that she consistently runs into, and this was in her, her first job before she made her first transition to the next job, was that she was too strong, too hard charging, always dominating conversation, a little too loud, right? So she bucked up against all of that sort of pushback. And in her new role in the new organization, um, after six months or so, that same story was coming around to nip her in the heels again. So at that point, she decided to start a consulting business. Um, and which this is sort of a common theme um, that happens to consultants a lot. The client will then ask you to come work on site, work for their organization. So after two years of consulting, there she was back on, uh, at work again. And that problem kind of disappeared, the problem of being too strong, too hard charging, and all of that. So it, this is a common story that lots of women can identify with, that there is something in the way of getting what we want um, and a persistent set of problems, some that are our own making and some that are organizational and more sort of implicit bias oriented. But today's episode is about how do we shorten that tra trajectory? We don't want to leave our jobs constantly, but this is something we're finding that we have to do. So, so how do we shorten that trajectory and actually change the story? Hi, I'm Lisa Gates, a leadership coach and a negotiation strategist and founder of Story Happens Here, where I coach ambitious women to own their story, control their narrative, and rise up. Hi, I'm Stacey Gordon of Rework Work, where as a diversity, inclusion, and career strategist, I strive to reduce bias in hiring and barriers to entry. And I spend a decent amount of time helping people make career transitions. So today, in today's episode, we want you to get out your notebook because you may find this to be more like a coaching session than a podcast, but you're not going to complain about that, right? <laughs> now, do you know what you want to achieve? We ask this question because we have found that many people are too afraid to let themselves dream, aspire, to have a big, hairy, audacious goal. And what if I fail? What if I'm not good enough? What if I'm too old or it's too late to start? And wanting something that big is scary. And what if you do own your ambition, but you're running into the all-familiar hurdles? You're too assertive, too hard-charging, too talkative, too demanding, just... Too many twos. What <laughs> there? 
<laughs> so today we're going to talk about being ambitious. And um, sometimes that is a very scary uh, word. And it's a scary thing to be. Hmm. You, you know, before we get, get go, go run off into the, the topic of the day where we're going to give really practical tips uh, and things that we can do to shorten that trajectory, I find this statistic really amazing. Um, that women, women of color especially, are the most ambitious segment of the workforce and the largest growing segment of new degree holders. But eight uh, women of color are starting eight out of 10 of women-owned businesses. So why are women, and especially women of color, leaving the workplace in droves? This is a corollary topic to uh, being unapologetically ambitious. So what, what are your thoughts about that? This has been going on for years. Um, I remember, gosh, I used to be part of an organization called Mocha Moms. Um, the organization is still thriving. I'm just not involved anymore. Um, and I always thought the interesting thing was I thought it was called Mocha Moms because it was for women of color who had kids. They were moms. Um, apparently, our logo was actually a coffee cup, and it had to do with the fact that we were moms who got together and drank coffee. And like, <laughs> yeah, okay, if that's what you want to say, that's why it's called that. But all right. <laughs> so, <laughs> but we got together, and I remember doing back when my oldest, who just turned 18, um, I was, um, gosh, she must've been about eight and I was pregnant with my youngest who is now nine. So this was a long time ago. <laughs> and I did a presentation for the women about, uh, starting a business. And I remember doing that while I was pregnant. I was heavily pregnant, probably like eight and a half months pregnant. And, but that's what we did, right? As moms, you were interested. We, we were still ambitious just because we were having kids didn't mean we weren't interested in getting to that next level. And so many of us were starting businesses or were in the middle of running a business and were married to partners who had businesses because that was one of the things we talked about a lot was just how frustrating it is to go to work every day and um, have your ambition be stifled. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, and to, to sort of stuff down your ambition or try to not look too threatening, not be too overwhelming, not too much for whoever the, the powers that be to handle. Right. Right. Um, and how, how long can you go on doing that? Um, without without selling your soul, right? right. I well, mean, I, I remember. Is, well, I was gonna say what's happening is companies are losing, right? They're they are lose they are the the losers in this because women um, are leaving the workforce and they are taking all of that ambition and all of that innovation and all of those great ideas out of the workforce. And now you've got companies. You know, they're scrambling. Oh, we can't find any, you know, fill in the blank, right? Good black women, Latina women, black men, right? Whatever, right? They, they are having these, this struggle to find great talent. And it's because we've opted out of the workforce. Right, right. It doesn't look like us. It doesn't function like us. They're still, uh, we're running into these, these, these same old, same old issues, Right. 
And we're probably um, preaching to the choir here. So I think, you know, part of that is like, well, what do we do about it? Because I think I have to say, I'm tired of complaining about it, right? Like, I'm a woman of action. <laughs> like, yeah, what do we have yeah. to do to make it so that if I don't want to leave the workforce, I don't feel like I have to. Because I feel like some of the people who have left felt like they have to go in order to get ahead. I feel like a large part of it, this is certainly what I discover with my clients, is that, you know, in the beginning of a, of a coaching relationship, you learn a lot about their story. You learn a lot about, okay, who they are, what built them, what kind of roadblocks they've been experiencing, and especially what is the story they're telling themselves about why they can't get where they want to go. And some of that story is, in quotes, true, right? These are real experiences, lived experiences. And the first job I feel, uh, my job, is to empathize and um, not collude, but, but express understanding for that experience, right? This is their lived experience. But on the heels of that is to challenge that experience to challenge what their perspective is around that challenge because once one once we can kind of shift perspective like like so what i mean by that if you say you know i just had to leave my boss was toxic or i could never work work past or through her or get her to accept my ideas um um so it was really easier just to leave or, uh, you know, some variation on that theme. Well, what if that wasn't true? What if it weren't true? But something, is, you know, that, you know, what story do you want to live into? So, so let's just set that, that I can't story aside for a minute and talk about what you're really up to, who you are and what your why is. So that you start to build the story of you, you start to build your, your narrative and you, you, you control the language you use, you control the way you talk about yourself, um, you control the way you have conversations with others so that you're always accurately representing your ambition and your talent and your skills um, confidently and positively and not downplaying them or hiding behind a tree. Um, 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 so I think that's kind of the starting spot. Right. I think part of that too is, um, and I'll, I'll speak for myself here on this and say that I know I have been in organizations where I felt as though, or I had seen how other people had been treated, right? Mm -hmm. So it was like, well, I don't want to speak up. I don't want to say that I want this thing because it's going to not end well for me. And I've said this previously on, you know, one of my stories um, where I did speak up. I did say, I am ambitious. I am interested in this new role. I would like to be considered. What do I have to do to, um, to be, be considered? And was pretty much just sort of, you know, slapped down and told, no you're not going to be considered. <laughs> wow. And at the time it was, you know, the, the thought was, well, I, I was a mom and I, you know, couldn't travel. Right. So I think that 
what we have to do is actually keep going in spite of. So what I did do is I left that organization, right? I left. And I think that we have to start to find that different narrative instead of leaving the organization, instead of quitting and starting our own business. If what we want is to get to that, you know, C-suite um, and, and advance within the organization, then we have to, like you said, create a new narrative. We've got to find new allies and we really have to have to navigate. And I think in that instance, you know, I probably should have done more homework, right? Before, before mm-hmm. sort of barging into my boss's boss's office, <laughs> even though I did do it with permission from my boss, right? I told him I, I'm interested in this and he said, go for it. So clearly my boss thought it was a good idea, right? Either that or he was trying to set me up for failure. I don't know. But I, I think it was that he actually, he agreed. He thought, yeah, go for it. Why not? So, but I still could have done more homework, right? Because I knew I could go to my boss and he would say, cool, but I didn't really know my boss's boss. And I probably mm-hmm. should have learned a little bit about her before I set that appointment and walked into her office. Right. And spent more time finding out what her interests and needs were and what her ambition is so that you could lock into it as being supporting her vision. Right. As opposed to supporting your great ambition only. Right. Right. And Um, so that's the piece that I think we have to start to do is changing that narrative in our head that, you know, this person I think I completely surprised her because honestly, she and I had never really had more than like, you know, said more than three sentences to each other in the time she had been there. So I really really caught her off guard. And she said the first thing that came out of her her mouth or came to mind, which people will normally do when they are stressed, when they're (laughs) in a hurry, right? And they just, they don't think, they just say. And um, so had I, I think there were ways I could have, made that situation, made that outcome of that situation different. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that's the thing we have to start to do is, you know, is think about how can we, um, rather than cut and run, rather than give up and say, oh, there's no point, I'll just stay in this, you know, this position for the next however many years, right? And just sort of resign ourselves to, to the position is, Let's think about what are the other things we can do. And so another example of that is a woman I was coaching, you know, who was having this issue with her manager. And she said, you know, I am, uh, we just don't like each other. And that's just how it's going to be. And I think I talked about this previously as well. And I was like, well, you can't just, that's not how it's going to be unless you're resigning. She resigned herself to just mediocrity. This is where I'm staying. This is what I'm going to have. This is the way it is. And the only other option is quit. And it was like, no, you have other options. And one of them is like what you said, Lisa, is you have to find out what you can do to help your supervisor achieve their goals. And that's right. Help you achieve your goals. (laughs) I mean, if you turn the tables and, and, uh, if I, if you would walk into my office, I'm just putting myself in the boss's position for a second. Here's this newbie I've never met before, and they're telling me they want my job. <laughs> or the well, one, uh, job, you know, but... <laughs> yeah, but you know, basically, <laughs> I want to own the world. 
you're, you're going to be put off because there isn't any connection or relationship there. There isn't any, you know, sort of uh, back and forth. Uh, there isn't a relationship um, or a contribution that you're offering to that other person. So somebody's just show, showing up to take, right? But the, the, the flip side or a corollary piece to this is that if you are having um, trouble getting a promotion or getting ahead, that one of the other reasons is that we do have very often a self-promotion gap. We don't know how to talk about ourselves in a way that um, is beneficial to the other person. Or we just resist talking about ourselves altogether. And one of the things that I'm, I'm always talking about is let the story, let your stories do the heavy lifting for you so that, so to, so that it's not a matter of bragging. It's really demonstrating the increase in numbers or whatever it is on your resume, the, the quantified results that you're so brilliant at um, t- t- telling the story of those numbers. Um, and stories involve other people and they involve conflict and resolution and all kinds of stuff that, that helps someone see who you are without you having to say, I am the best at X, Y, or Z. So self-promotion is, you know, we really need to reframe that as well. It's not bragging. It's, it's, it's fact inside story, right? Yeah. I, I so, think that- yeah. What? Well, I was going to say, I think the other thing is we talk a lot about self-promotion. What we don't talk about is promotion of others to the, um, I want to say, what's the opposite of detriment, right? Like to, to the benefit. To the, to the, promotion right, to the others benefit of to the them. benefit of yourself and them, right? So... This is an old networking principle I used to use, but it works. No one uses it internally, right? I used to tell people when you, because especially people who are shy and don't like to go out and network, I would say, take a friend with you or a colleague or somebody, and then go out and network on their behalf. Tell them what you're, who you're looking for, what it is that you want, and let that person find, identify those people for you in the room and then make an introduction for you. And then you do the same for that person. That makes it so much easier to network because you're no longer... And so much more fun. Yes. Because <laughs> you can make it into a competition. You know, like I'm going to find more people for you than you can find for me. So you spend the whole evening going around talking about this great friend of yours or this colleague of yours and introducing people. Oh, Lisa, this is, you know what? That's so great that you would say that. I have a friend and... She's actually right over there. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Let me introduce you to her. You bring them together and then you walk off and you go find somebody else to introduce her to, right? And so, but we don't do that when we are working together, right? We talk about this self-promotion all the time. We need to do the same thing in the workplace. I need to know what job it is that you want. I need to know what your ambition is, what level you're trying to get to. And then I need to be helping so that when I'm in a room and you're not, I'm able to talk about you in a positive light and put, put your name forth and say, oh, exactly, would be exactly. for that position. Has anyone considered her? Right. And, and really, this, this so upends the, com- the, the common um, myth about women being so competitive or um, um, sort of uh, 
what is it? Throwing other women under the bus. The crabs in a barrel kind of, yeah. Yeah. It's sure we've all experienced some of that. um, uh, But, but by and large, the myth is, is BS because really we, we do prefer to negotiate on other people's behalf or sell or promote on other people's behalf. So if we use that to our advantage, rather than saying, um, that's really, that, that, that we really need to get better at self-promotion. Uh, why don't we just use what we're good at to our advantage and for other, the advantage of others as well and make that a, a standard in the way that we operate. Yeah. Right? I mean, I'm going to have great. your back. Yeah. yeah. We are really good at, at, at negotiating on behalf of others uh, making sure that others are not taken advantage of. And so this is, it's a great opportunity to utilize that um, in, in the workplace. You can even create uh, little clicks, right? Of people who it's like, okay, I know. Positive clicks. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's like your, your advancement ERG, right? Your employee resource. Yeah. <laughs> your, your ambition clicks, right? So, so it's like, you, if, if I know what you want and where, where ultimately you want to land, I'm going to do everything to have your back in every kind of way. And I'm going to talk about you constantly in order to help you achieve that, right? And, and, you know, that is not to say that you're off the hook for being able to talk about yourself in a positive way, in, in a constructive growth-oriented way. Like, and, you know, like I said at the beginning, to really, and sometimes that means writing a statement and memorizing it and saying it until you're comfortable with it. Um, and because I think, you know, one of the things, con- the concept of confidence often comes up with this whole ambition thing and self-promotion thing. And I know of no other way to become confident other than by practice. There is, there's no magic wand. There isn't some special wardrobe you put on that makes you confident. It's practice, repeated con- practice. And yeah, fall down, go boom, get up, do it again. But I will um, say part of that that helps with confidence, though, is again, that, that external gratification, right? And so confidence is, like, confidence will come from knowing that there were three other people who have my back. And that they are going to, and that they believe in me enough to want to have my back, right? So even just in that, the the power of, of your, your confidence level is going to to grow because I'm not about to get into a, a group and help anybody if I don't actually believe in what they're doing. You know, it reminds me of that, that yeah. Geico commercial with P- Pinocchio, right? He's like, he'd be a terrible <laughs> motivational speaker. He's out there like, you've got potential and you've got potential and his nose is growing. <laughs> you know? Exactly. I'm not going to get into a group with people that I don't actually believe in. So right. being able to, to know that, hey, th- these people have my back is a confidence yeah, by itself. Let's, let's talk about the, the, the scary, what I think is a little bit, um, hold us back in a scary kind of way. Let's say that you have received um, criticism, like Laura's story, that you're hard charging, abrasive, whatever. Um, and let's say it's actually true. 
Uh, Here's an example for you. I had a a, a client who um, was born in another country. She spoke with an accent that was sometimes hard to understand. And the more passionate she got and the more excited she got about an idea, the higher her voice would go. So she'd be talking really in a kind of a squeaky thing and it would be in this accent and she would be you know, get a little bit too energetic and, and, and people were constantly telling her, calm down, calm down. It's okay. Right. Um, and in, in performance reviews and uh, meetings with her supervisor or boss or a boss's boss, she would get this, this constant feedback. And, you know, I, I had, you know, one solution um, that I came up with, it really comes from my theater background was when you know you're going into a high stakes situation or having to talk about yourself or pitch an idea, um, intentionally drop your voice, drop your voice into your belly, drop your voice somewhere lower in your body so that you can um, tamp down the energy a little bit without losing your enthusiasm. But to, to do a, a practical, physical thing to help you ground yourself. Um, and, you, you know, that is something that takes a lot of practice um, and a lot of emotional intelligence or self-awareness um, about what your voice is actually doing in the moment that you get excited or upset, right? So what are your thoughts about that, Stacy? Yeah, I mean, I think that... Um I feel like, and and I know that there's like as I'm I'm stuttering because I'm like eh. <laughs> I don't know if I should say this or not, but I just feel like we're always being told how we have to change our voice or how we have to mm-hmm. change our dress or how we have to change our stance. And I think about a, a woman who talks about you know widening your stance and taking up more of the room, and and I get it. We probably do need to do some of that. But at the same time, it just rubs me the wrong way. It's like, I am who I am. I want to be able to walk into a room with this voice, with this face. (laughs) However, I feel something and not have to be concerned that that's going to be an issue for people. But I get it, right? Like you have to have the right... um, the right look and the right, the right feel for different things, right? Obviously, if I'm going to the beach, I'm not going to show up in, in jeans and a sweatshirt and expect to go swimming, right? Like, <laughs> right. There are times when we do have I, to I agree with you. Right? <laughs> I, I totally agree with you that we're done with that story, that there's something wrong with us, that, we're, that we have to change to make the dominant culture feel safe around us right but i think there's a difference between things that say for example your boss that come i come into your office and i say you know stacy um you know can you kind of control your hair for tomorrow's meeting for tomorrow's presentation like maybe put it in a bun now that's a horrendous thing uh, to ask a black woman to do or anyone actually but uh, you know those things happen more often than we all the time. But there are other things that are just kind of practical, everyday human things that we can do to become better 
presenters, become better um, um, pitchers. Um, what, it's a skill. These are skills that we're developing. And I think it, we have to understand the motive, uh, you know, the difference, I guess. Um, That's true. I mean, I think when you think about um, if, you, if you know you have a quiet tone, right? You know that when you need to project, when you're doing a presentation, like there are some things, and I think individually, right? That's where you do have to look at yourself and have to have um, a really honest conversation with yourself. And again, maybe if you've got a group of people who you trust, who can give you feedback on how you dress, how you sh- really how you show up, right? How do you show up when you're at work? What, do, what, what does that look like? What, in, what impression do you give when you walk into you know, we're really just, we're, we are talking about influence. We, it, so much of this is like how we own our ambition is also owning the fact that we, by our very natures, have some kind of influence and we want to grow our ability to have influence um, to support our ambition or to understand where, am, where our ambition is going to take us in the future. So one of the things I'm always, doing with people is uh, not always, but in, uh, when they need it is to ask them to do what I call an influence interview um, with several people. So people internal in your workplace and also external is to send them an email and ask them a set of questions. And I'll tell you the questions um, and to promise that no matter what the person says, you're not going to refute or, um, or disagree, you're going to say, thank you. I appreciate your feedback. Um, and so those questions are, what do I do well? What are my strengths? Where do you see me struggle? And what advice do you have that would make me more effective? Now, some people are going to tell you the hard truth. <clears throat> and some people are not. They're going to be sort of a little bit more Pollyanna and positive. And some of those things, those responses will show you, uh, you know, how you're being perceived, but you will also see where potential bias might be coming from. How people see you might reveal more about them than it does about you. So you have to look at it from both lenses and then decide what am I going to accept? What am I going to work on as a result of this? Where do I want to take this? Um, and, well, and I think some, too, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that, that in some cases, uh, depending on how well, you know, the person, it can be an invitation. It can be a door opening for a really real good, real conversation with someone, um, about either that bias that's showing up or about, um, something you really want to grow into it could be uh, you know it could be a real growth opportunity well that's what i was going to say though is it i think i mean tell me a little bit more about doing it by email rather than in person because i feel like if you really want to get true feedback from somebody you have to embrace that discomfort you have to let them know i need could, this feedback yeah. from you and i need totally. to be honest right and yes Unless you were really direct about it, 
people are going to want to be let off the hook. They're not going to want to say anything negative about you because people avoid conflict. So right. you, you, you need to understand that when you ask for that feedback, it's going to be a little uncomfortable. And so don't let them off the hook. Don't say something like, oh, it's okay if you can't think of anything or it's, it's okay if you, you know, like, yes, don't do yes. it. It works great in person. It works just as well in, in person. I just say this because a lot of us are, you know, remote or there That's people true. are in different offices, whatever, yeah. you know. So, but in person, you're right. It takes a lot more effort to control yourself in the, in that moment where, so you have to make a promise that I'm, I'm simply going to listen and maybe write things down that you say, and I'm not going to refute. I'm not going to do anything with it, but use it as a growth opportunity and be grateful. Yeah. So now, um, so give us those questions again. What do I do well? What are my strengths? Where do you see me struggle? And what advice do you have that would make me more effective? Just make it simple because, yes. the, the, you know, they'll, they'll, people will naturally expand those questions. Um, and, you know, and, and what it will reveal, too, very often is, is, you know, is their perception and their experience congruent with what I think of myself? And if it's, you know, and, and um, do they reflect my ambition? Are, are they seeing it? Am I being seen accurately? And if, the, you know, they might have no idea what you want or what you're up to or what your ambition is. And this is, you know, couldn't be a very revealing moment about um, how you need to speak up and control your narrative and speak about yourself better. Um, I, another, another strategy or I don't know, a hack, an influence hack that I love is what I call mirroring for likability. So like likability is one of the principles of a persuasion or principles of influence. And, you know, it basically is that people, if we like someone, we will listen more to what they have to say, right? Or we'll adopt their ideas more easily. And the one way you can create or generate likability and connection <clears throat> is to watch people's body language and listen to the type of language that they use. So some, for example, somebody might be, uh, use a lot of kinesthetic body language. They'll say things like, I feel very strongly about X, or I'm trying to get a handle on Y. So in your reply or in your conversation with them, you might mirror that and use the word handle, use the word feel. And this will help you generate connection a little more quickly. Well, this is why, you know, even in that initial example, I'm saying if you do this in person, because 85% of communication is nonverbal. Exactly. So it is really important to do some of these activities in person. Uh, you can't mirror if you're not doing this in person, right? Like, <laughs> I, I think no, you... you you, you well, can mirror. You, mirror the you and I mirror all the time. We're yeah. doing it now and we're not in person, right? But I know what you mean. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think if you can't do it in person, then at least video, right? Skype or, or Zoom right. or something where you can see the person because 
it makes it makes a really big difference. Um, and I think um, going back to something we said before too about being you know in the workplace when we're trying to um, when we're thinking about our ambition, right? I think at least I know again for me, I would think about here are all these things that I'm concerned about. And then at the end of the day, I'd go, oh, great. You know, I'm another, you know, black woman about to make a fuss about this thing. And finally realized that, you know what? I don't have to take on the entire organization, right? I don't have to stand up for all women or all black people or all black women or, you know, any of that. Um, We just have to get better about standing up for ourselves. And so if I'm ambitious, I have to think about me, Stacy. what is the thing that I want and not bring into play all the other perceived things that I'm thinking that people might be thinking about me because of who I am, right? I need to actually just go off of facts at my disposal. And I think that we need to spend more time thinking about what are the facts that we know rather than what are the things that we think we know? Hmm. Give me an example of that. Like, like, I mean, because you're, so this sort of ties into what we have talked about before. It seems to me about do you, so if you know that you're experiencing some sort of gender or racial bias, that you're not going to point your finger and say, Hey, you are treating me like, with bias you're you're a racist right you're not going to do that you're going to try to control to bring things back to facts and measurable results and things that we um, can logically practically do right because you can't control so you know bias discrimination racism all of that it's illogical right you can't um you can't argue with people's beliefs Right. But you can address facts. So if you feel that you are being stifled because of something that is illogical, you still have to bring it back to facts and ask, is my performance lacking? Right. But you can't know mm-hmm. if your performance is lacking if you don't know what the expectation was to begin with. So right. Exactly. Start with, let's make sure we're on the same page here. This is my job description as I understand it. Is that your understanding of what I'm supposed to be doing? No? Okay, let's get in alignment on what I'm supposed to be doing. So once you're in alignment, then you can say, okay, based upon that, here is what I have done. Have I done this well? Okay, what does well mean? What is that based upon? What's the scale? Am I being compared to others who are also doing this, right? Like these are all things that we have to have conversations about. And so much of our performance reviews are based on gut feel. You know, people write down these little, you got a four, you got a three, you got a two. Based on what? What is that based on, right? Um, Right, right, right. So just having more, a better understanding of what the actual things are, the facts that are at our fingertips rather than the feelings, um, it's going to help us stick with breaking through and getting to that place we want to get to rather than quitting and starting a business. And not to say that quitting <laughs> and starting right. a business is a bad thing, because obviously you want to do that, great. But I do know, I talked to a lot of people who felt like that was their only option. And mm-hmm. in life, 
you want to have choices. You want to have options. The more options, the better. And so if you feel like you only have one option, that's not a good place to be in. Right, right. And, and again, that goes back to really examining the story you're telling yourself. Um, you know, is, is it, is, you know, is this true? Is this actually really happening or is this my perception? And even if it is, you know, am, am I going to throw in the towel because it's difficult? Um, and so this to me goes back to the sort of idea of, of our, you know, ambition click and, and the, the people we, we grow and include in our corner. Or in in our in our posse, if you will, um, and well, in my world, we always talk about help assist out, right? Like that's what we want right. to do. It's like yes, help assist out. Um, and <laughs> so often, you know, I think about the people that I know, the positions they were in, and the many times they could have done something so small that would have made a huge difference for me. They could have put in a good word. They could have picked up the phone. They could have invited me to a dinner and they didn't. Mm. And so we don't always remember the times that people did do great stuff for us, but I know we all, we definitely remember the times that people could have done something and chose not to. And Mm. I think that that's something else we have to think about um, as, you know, part of that ambition is that we can help others get to their place. Because even if they get there before us, guess what? If you've helped them get there, they can then turn around and help you get there too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my, my son is <clears throat> experiencing this right now in the job that he has. He, he's a lucky human being in that his first real job out of college was with a, the most supportive, amazing, growth-oriented boss that he's ever had. And he's about to leave the organization. It was a contract coming to an end. And, and I asked him, I said, you need to have her in your back pocket for the rest of your life. And, and, and she's going to want to have you too. This is not the last time you're going to interact with her. And he, and he was so excited. He said, he goes, are you kidding? She will always be that person I talk about. Right. And I, and I said, you watch, it'll circle back around. And one day you might be in a position to give her a leg up. And, um, and, and he said, I, I can't wait for the day to be able to do that and to pay someone back for the generosity and, and taking a chance on me. Definitely. So I think we've given some, I hope we've had. <laughs> some- <laughs> And some good information today about ambition um, and that our, our goal, right, is that we can get there and that we, I think for me, what I see is that we need to reevaluate the narrative that there's only one way to get there. And we also need to reevaluate the narrative that maybe we can't get there in the way that we thought we could. Um, I think right. we need to, to rethink uh, and use facts, use actual data in front of us and those people who are putting roadblocks in front of us, make sure that they're doing it with data too. If they're not giving you data, make them go get it. Um, <laughs> because 
that is how you figure out. That's how you grow also. Somebody can give you data and say, you're not ready because of A, B, and C. You have to say thank you for that feedback mm-hmm. and then grow, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> so exactly. it's really important to request the data, request the facts and figures, right? We want to see the receipts. <laughs> we want to see the receipts. I love that. <laughs> well, that's a perfect spot to close, I think. So... Definitely. So this is us as usual, Lisa and Stacy here, and we are providing you, we hope, with lots of great information. And we hope that if you like today's discussion, that you will like us, share us, and that you will definitely listen in next time. You have been listening to Inclusionomics with Lisa Gates and Stacey Gordon. Visit inclusionomics.net to subscribe and download.